Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, today I want to start what I'm calling a mini-series. I'm going to deep preach this morning. I'm going to preach on this tonight and then again next Sunday morning at least. But uh, I want to start in the book of Titus, chapter 2. This this couple of verses right here, probably about 15 years ago, they just absolutely jumped off the page. and just exploded on the inside of me. And I don't think I've ever really taught on it. So I'm going to, to, going to do that. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation. Now, by the way, when it comes to grace, most people believe that what grace is, is grace is what allows you to keep sinning. Right? That's what most people think that grace is. But that is not at all what grace is. Um, most do not realize that, that really what grace is, grace is, is more of a verb than it is a noun. But uh, Rick Renner wrote something on the subject of grace. And those of you who don't know, uh, Rick is one of my mentors. He's also our apostolic oversight here at the church. Uh, he wrote this. He says, repentance is not a feeling, temporary sorrow for past actions. In fact, what a lot of people think that repentance is, which leads to grace, is they think repentance is when you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And, and most of the time, by the way, what you mean is, I'm sorry you don't like my sin because I like it. Right? But grace is not just being sorry. It's not a feeling, temporary sorrow for past sins. Rather, it is a solid intellectual decision to turn around and take a new direction in order to complete completely change the patterns of one life on every level. It is a mental choice to turn towards God with all of one's heart in order to follow Jesus. It's the birth canal through which we are born into the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, his message was repent, where the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. The kingdom, Jesus is saying, it's at hand. It's available to you now. See, we think the kingdom is when we go someplace and die, but Jesus said, it's here, it's now, it's available, it can be working in your life today. So the grace of God, right, that brings salvation, it appears and offers salvation to all people. How many? You know, some of us were brought up in spiritual traditions where we were talked to about limited atonement that Jesus didn't die for everybody, but he just died for certain people. But the Bible tells us that God's grace, it appears and offers salvation to how many? To all, to all. It teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Well, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good works. So the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to say no. In fact, I'd like everybody to say no. 
No, no, I mean like, like you mean it. Okay. All right. It teaches us to say no. Right? Uh, you've got to say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, the uh, English preacher, was at a bus stop. And he said there was a lady who came and, and her little dog followed her. And she said to that dog, she said, no, go home. Go. Get back home. And the dog just wagged his tail. And she said, okay, go, go, go home, go home. And uh, she just wagged his tail. And then finally she says, get, no, get out of here. And that dog whew, took off. And it wiggles worth, that's what you got to do with the devil. You can't be friendly. Oh, you should go. Get back. No, you got you to lie. No! All right? With some conviction from your heart. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to say no. All right? The world, the flesh, the devil, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So what I would like to do in uh, the next three times I get to speak is I want to talk to you about some things to say no to, right? So I want to start by talking about saying no to wrong associations, saying no to wrong associations. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Now notice, you don't need to be a fool to be destroyed. You just need to hang around with some. All you need to do is be a companion of fools and you will be destroyed. Life rises and falls to the level of our associations. If you want to know where you're going in life, look at your friends. Look at your friends. That will show you where you're headed. Uh, Jimmy Evans, the the marriage expert, I remember hearing him say this. He was here doing a conference, and and he says, divorce is a communicable disease. People were kind of like, what do you mean? And this is what he said. He said, if you find somebody who's getting a divorce, almost without exception, they've got somebody who's encouraging them, somebody who's telling them, you know, you shouldn't put up with that. You can do better than that. You ought to get rid of that loser, and you ought to do this. You, you, ha- you find somebody who's getting divorced, there's somebody around them who's got that mentality, who's moving them in that direction. Um, when, when Jeannie and I first graduated from Bible college, we went to Mexico. And, and literally in a matter of six weeks, we were pastoring a church. Uh, in six months, we had grown to about 120 people. Uh, we were gone, getting our papers renewed in the United States. And while we were gone, uh, the church was split, and uh, we lost about half of our people. And for the next 18 months, we never recovered. Uh, I, I wouldn't say we were, fe- uh, I, I felt like a failure. Um, we were alone, and I would say this, we were unsuccessful. Right? But after those, those two-year period, the six months, then 18 months, we moved out to a village. And I worked with a man by the name of Benancio Hernandez. He was an Otomi Indian. Uh, Benancio had a second grade education. He was uh, four foot 10, 260. When we met him, I was 24 years old. 
He was 65. He had already started over 100 churches. Um, in the, the, the big church where he was uh, in the city, we had a service literally every day. So for two years, I was with him every day, every day. And for special occasions, we'd have 10,000 people show up for service. Okay. Now, with him for those two years, and then the next three years, I was with him every week at some point during the week. But during that time, uh, I caught something. You know how you you get with somebody who's got a cold, you can catch a cold? Well, I was with him for five years, right? I want to tell you something. I caught something. You say, what did you catch? I caught a spirit of faith, right? I I caught a belief in people. I caught a whole lot. I learned more about leadership from him than I did from every book I've ever read or Bible college I ever went to. I caught something being with him, Right? Your associations affect you. He affect, he's been in heaven for 20 years, but he still affects me today. All right. The Bible says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. All right. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man. Do not go. At least you learn his ways. Right. This is the people that you and I hang around. Uh, we're going to learn their ways. You know, if, if, if they're generous, we're going to learn to be generous. If they've got a positive attitude, we're, we're going to pick up on that positive attitude. Right? But if you're hanging around people with money problems, most likely you're going to start having some money problems because you're going to pick up their attitude and their habits concerning finances. You can call it your clan, your inner circle, your posse, your network, your tribe, your family, whatever you want to call it, whoever you are, you need to have a close association with at least four faith friends. Minimum four. You remember in the Bible that paralytic, he had four friends that carried him to see Jesus. When they couldn't get in to find Jesus, These guys find a ladder and climb on the roof. Take this guy with them. They take and they open up the roof, get some ropes, and let the guy down in front of Jesus. I mean, you know, you got some friends that are willing to go the long mile with you. They'll go with you through the hard times, not just the good times. You need people that are faith people. Uh, Get that group. Get your posse together. The What is pure, listen, is corrupted much more quickly than what is corrupted is made pure. There's an Old Testament example of this. The priest is asked if if a priest has something that is holy and it's touched by something unclean, does the holy make the unclean clean or does the unclean make the clean clean? unclean. And he says, no, the unclean makes the clean unclean. Here's the example that I would use. In fact, I thought about doing it, but I figured I'd probably get pulled off the stage. Right. If I were to ask one of the young men to come down here and I grab his hand, how many of you realize he could pull me down a lot easier than I could pull him up? Right? And that's really how it is when it comes to people affecting you. It's harder for you to pull somebody up than it is for them to pull you down. Right? 
There's, how can we say, here's a great example. Uh, David has a son whose, whose name is Ammon. He falls in love with his half-sister, Tamar. Right? The Bible says it this way. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Ammon, the son of David, loved her. Well, he's just depressed. He's like, how do I, how do I get it? What do I do? I, she, she's, my, she's my sister, and I can't get anywhere near her. So the Bible says he has a crafty friend. Right? And uh, his crafty friend, Jonadab, says to him, well, this is what you do. He says, you pretend to be sick. And when your dad comes to see you, you just say, yeah, I'm really bad. But, but you know, if my sister were to come and she were to make some cakes and bake them in my sight, I could eat them from her hand. So David sends the sister. He sends everybody out. She brings the cakes. He rapes her. The long story short is Absalom, two years later, kills him for it. How many thought you had problems in your family? But you know what got him in trouble? A crafty friend. A crafty friend by the name of Jonadab. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 13. It says that Lot and Abraham are together, and, and God is blessing Abraham. And Lot literally gets blessed because he's with Abraham. But they've got so much stuff they can't dwell together, and there begins to be some strife between their herdsmen. And so Abraham, and by the way, when there's strife, the greater is always the one that speaks up first. He says to Lot, he says, let's not have strife between me and you, between my people and your people. He says, if you'll choose to the east, I'll go to the west. You choose to the west, I'll go to the east. And the Bible says that Lot chose for himself. He chose the beautiful valley, and Abraham ended up going out in the desert. But here's verse 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now. And look toward the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, and everything you see. I'm giving it to you and to your descendants forever. Do you notice the blessing of God, the word of God, the promise of God came to him after he had separated himself from Lot? And there can be associations that we have, people in our life, that are keeping the blessing of God out of our life. And when we make that separation, then the blessing of God begins to show up in a totally new and greater way. Some of us have got Jonah's in our boat. Uh, for those of you who don't know the story, the Bible says that God spoke to a man named Jonah and said, go to Nineveh and preach. Well, the Ninevites were the enemies of Israel. And, and he says, you know, I know God's merciful. You know, I preach. God will save them. And I don't want them saved. I want them in hell. Really nice guy. So he runs in the other direction and he gets on a ship. And the Bible says he goes down into the ship, down into the lower parts of the ship, and then he lays down and he goes to sleep. And a storm comes and everybody's up on top and they're fighting this storm and they're throwing stuff overboard and they're doing everything they possibly can. And Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. And finally they go down, they wake him up and say, Hey, call on your God. Well, the bottom line is this. The storm is because of Jonah. And he knows it. And he says, throw me overboard. And the storm will stop. And they finally throw him overboard. 
and the storm stops. But there's two things I want you to notice. First of all, everybody else was working against the storm, and Jonah is sound asleep. A lot of times we're trying to rescue people that don't want to be rescued. We're doing all the work. We're, we're, we're paying for it. We're trying to help them. We're, we're speaking up for them. We try to help them get a job. We try to do all sorts of things, but they don't want a job. They don't want to change. They don't want to be delivered. They're miserable, but they want to be miserable. Right? And when you got somebody and you're trying to help them and they don't want help, it's not going to help. It is not going to help. And notice that when they got rid of Jonah, the storm stopped. And some of us, we are personally in a storm because we're trying to help somebody who does not want help. Listen, Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish, the Bible says. And I believe that. I believe that. You heard the story. Little girl, she's uh, in art class and she draws a big fish with Jonah inside. And the teacher says, oh, she says, he says, uh, that, that, that didn't happen. And the girl, little girl says, uh, oh, yeah, it did. It's, it's in the Bible. She says, no, that didn't happen. And, and the little, well, the, how, how, how do you know? I just don't believe what the teacher said. Well, the little girl says, well, I do. And when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And the teacher says, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? The little girl said, well, then you ask him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> What was I talking about before I was telling you that joke? I forgot. Anyway, get Jonah out of your boat. You, you and I, we sometimes go through storms because we're trying to help somebody that does not need help. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and this is what the, the Samaritan had. He had what the man needed, and the man was willing to receive the help. Right? Sometimes you have what they need, and they aren't willing to receive your help, right? And that's not the person God sent you to, right? They, they may need to go and get thrown overboard. And again, he, he is in the fish for three days before he even prays. How many of you know that's pretty stubborn? You are in a fish for three days before you pray? My goodness, you ought to just be in a storm and start praying, right? Anyway. People catch your spirit just like they catch a cold by being near you, right? Uh, when I got saved, um, I, was, I was 20 years old. I'd been brought up in church, but it, it just never penetrated. But a friend said to me, hey, go to this new church. They're meeting at Jeremy's party place. And I thought, well, that sounds like a good church. Meeting at a party place. So I went there on a Sunday night. There's probably only 30 people there. And after the service, Bruce Roberts came up and talked to me about the Lord. And finally, we pray. I received the Lord. And this is what he said to me. He said afterwards, he said, now tomorrow, I was attending Calvin College at the time. And he knew my kind of like, what do I call them? My little group, my circle of friends. And uh, he knew we were partiers. And so he said, when you go to school tomorrow, he says, and you see a certain individual, he's kind of like, the head guy, you know, kind of like the number one bad guy. He said, when you see him, you tell him you went to church last night and you gave your life to Jesus and you're saved. So we hung out on the third floor in the library in the corner. So after my first class, I went up to the library. There was my buddy sitting there and I went over to him 
And I said, last night I went to church. I said, I prayed, I received Jesus, and I got saved. And let me just tell you what happened. That moment, that moment, our friendship was over. I never got invited to do one more thing with them ever. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Right? All new friends. All new friends. Proverbs 6.23, the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. And the reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from. Now, it mentions here the evil woman. How many of you know there's a whole lot of evil men too? Right? Now, so here's what it's saying. It's saying God's word and godly counsel are to give you the wisdom to know that there's some people you should not hang around with to keep you from. Right? There are some people that you should not have a close association with in your life. You say, why? Well, the Bible says the righteous choose their friends carefully because the way of the wicked will lead them astray. In other words, you start hanging around with the wrong people and it will affect you. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, bad company ruins good morals. And you say, oh, that won't affect me. You are deceived. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Right? So there's just certain people we shouldn't be hanging around with. And people, again, they're going to catch your spirit just by being around you. Right? It's better to... <laughs> by the way, this is, from, this, this is a quote I took out of a book from the great theologian Warren Buffett. <laughs> it's better to hang out with people who are better than you. Pick out associates whose behavior is better than yours and you'll drift in their direction. You'll just drift in their direction. It's just automatic. You know, uh, one of my mentors and again, apostolic oversight of our church is Rick Renner. You know, I'm on the, I'm, I'm texting him this morning. Right? Uh, every time I'm with him, he inspires me to be better. Every time, I mean, every single time he inspires me, right? That's the type of people that we want to be around. A, a social psychologist from Harvard University wrote this. The people with whom you habitually associate are called your reference group. And these people determine as much as 95% of your success and failure in life. Well, we know that. The wisest man that ever lived. Besides Jesus, Solomon said, the righteous should choose their friends carefully because the way of the wicked will lead them astray. And the way of the wicked will lead you astray, but the way of the godly will strengthen your walk with God. Listen, when the devil wants to attack you, one of his premier strategies is to send somebody into your life to bring compromise. And when God wants to bless you, one of the things that God does is bring somebody into your life that'll encourage you in your walk in the kingdom of God and will help you and strengthen you. All right. Number two. This is going to be three parts. I don't know. Number two. I'm on page nine out of like 60. We'll see how we go. Number two, no complaining. We're going to say no to complaining. All right. Psalms 77.3. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. 
I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. It's amazing how when we begin to complain about things, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I think it's interesting that when Jesus taught us how to handle trouble in Mark eleven twenty three, he said, whosoever will say to this mountain, he didn't say, talk about your mountain, how big it is, how bad it is, how long it's been there. He says, you need to say something to the mountain, not complain about your mountain. And by the way, if it was God's will for the mountain to be there, Jesus would have never told you how to get rid of it. Right? He's, he's telling us how to get rid of that mountain. But when, when, when we complain, we become a victim. And the thing about victims is this. Their problems are somebody else's fault, and they're helpless. Victims are helpless, right? But you're not helpless. The Lord is on your side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Job 7.11. Job said, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I remember years ago, we were still back in the old sanctuary. Uh, a man came up to me after one of the services, and he just started complaining about the place that he was working. And it was honestly one of the top three best places in in Western Michigan that you could possibly work. And he, they don't this, and they don't that, and they're this, and they're that. And I'm quitting on Monday. I says, you don't, don't do that. I says, you just need to be thankful where you're, where you're at. And uh, he's, no, 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 no. So he quits, gets another job. Six months later, he's back up about the new place. Got the same list. Same bunch of problems. Right? Here, sometimes what we think is we think that we've been wrong, but we weren't wrong. And this is very often the truth. It's not always the truth, but it's often the truth. King Saul is upset with David. In fact, the Bible says he becomes so upset with David that he seeks to kill him every day. But all David ever did was killed a giant for Saul and served him faithfully. But yet Saul saw him as a threat and everything he did, he took it as a personal affront. Job is another great example in your Bible. Job 35, do you think this is right? That you say, my righteousness is more than God's. Job said, I am more righteous than God. He thought God had treated him wrong. He said, I'm more righteous than God. Uh, chapter 34, verse 4, I am righteous and God has taken away my justice. Those are the things Job Job thought that God had wronged him, but God had not wronged him. But in his mind, it was as real as anything. The Bible says, Philippians 2, verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The Bible says, whatever it is, do it without complaining. First Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will for you is that in everything you give thanks. Not for everything, but in the midst of anything, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going wrong, there's a lot of good things in your life. You say, I can't think of one. You're saved. You're forgiven. You're washing the blood. You're justified. You're on your way to heaven. You're a part of the kingdom of God. And if you can't think of anything else, that's enough to hit your hands up and get you saying, thank you, Jesus. 
When I was first saved, there was a very popular book out. This is over 40 years ago. And uh, the book said, if you get a divorce, thank God for the divorce. And if you get divorced, thank God for the, excuse me, you get cancer, thank God for the cancer. Listen, God didn't send the cancer and God didn't send the divorce. But in the midst of whatever you're going through, you can thank God because he is the answer to your problems. He's not the problem. He's got the answer to your problem. In 2 Peter, those answers are called exceeding great and precious promises. God's got promises that he will see us through whatever the situation is. In Numbers 14, God said, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? Now, they didn't say they were complaining against God. They thought they were complaining against Moses, but God takes it personally, right? In Philippians 4, it says, in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, if we go to God and we're asking for something and we're complaining about what we have, it won't be very long after God answers our prayer, we're going to complain about the next thing. God says, whenever you come to me, he says, come with thanksgiving. In fact, the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Do you know, it is protocol. When we come into God's presence, to come with thanksgiving. Um, Let me just close with a a thought here. One of the reasons that we complain is we don't realize or remember the greatness of God and what God wants to do for us. The Bible says this in Psalm 78. It says, yes, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Listen, listen, They limited God. God wanted to do more, but they limited God, right? How did they limit him, right? They did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the fields of Zoram, turning the rivers to blood and the streams so they couldn't drink. He sent swarms of flies among them, devoured them in frogs and destroyed them. You see, God delivered them and then he opened the Red Sea. And then he gave them bread from heaven and water coming out of a rock. But they did not remember, right? If they had remembered what God had done, because what God has done is what God will do again. In in Hebrew, if you go back to the root of testimony, listen, it means do again. That's what it means. Do again. It's in the New Testament as well. Revelation 19.10. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What Jesus has done, all right, is a prophecy of what he wants to do. You know somebody who got healed? It's a prophecy. There's some healing for you. You know somebody who got delivered? It's a prophecy. There's some deliverance for you. You know somebody who received provision? It's a prophecy. There's more for you. In Psalms 119, it says, your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. In other words, we have inherited those testimonies of what God has done. And what he has done is a picture of what he wants to do again. They literally testimonies are to create faith in you and in me. And a testimony, I believe this, releases an anointing of God to do what he has already done. 
in our expectation of God determines our level of faith. What you expect determines our level of faith, right? We cannot forget the things that God has done for us. And we need to be even looking in the word of God, of those testimonies, because those are what God wants to do again. In 1 Kings 11, it talks about Solomon. And it says, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. So Solomon has two unusual, supernatural encounters with God. But he forgot. He forgot, right? He didn't steward those encounters properly, right? Uh, what a difference when you look at, Saul, at Paul. Paul in the New Testament, his, in, his, in, basically his entire testimony is given three times in the book of Acts and then three more times. There's parts of it in the epistles. He didn't forget. But when we don't steward, when we don't remember, when we don't appreciate, when we're not thankful, the things that God has done, they become stale, they sour, they're forgotten, and they become powerless in our life. And that is what happened in Solomon's life. It didn't happen in Paul's life. And God is saying in, to the children, about the children of Israel, all those things that I did for them, they forgot. They forgot. And because they forgot, they become powerless. They did not realize God who did that wants to do something. Again, the Bible says they limited God. We should not limit God by forgetting what he's done for us, what he's done for others, and what he shows us his will is in God's word. We need to be thankful. We need to steward them. When Jesus heals 10 lepers, how many come back? Just one. Just one even remembered to say thank you. And so often we do not steward properly what God has done in our lives. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Psalms 56 and 9. This I know because God is for me. This is what the Bible says. This I know because God is for me. Jesus said the thief, the devil, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's literally called the accuser of the brethren. That's one of his names, right? See, what the devil comes and says to people is he comes and he says, God is mad at you. God has rejected you. God is distant from you. You've gone too far. You've done too much. It's too late. You're out of reach. It's over. But this is what I know. I know that God loves you. And I know that right now, God is reaching out to you. Paul said this, he says, we beg you in Jesus' place, in Jesus' stead, to be reconciled. God, he is reaching out to you. It is not too late. When Peter preached the day the church was born, he said, be saved from this perverse generation. See, he wants every one of us that are in the sound of my voice, you're watching right now online, or you watch later, he wants you to know that he wants to save you, not just from hell, but he wants to save you today from this perverse generation. He wants his kingdom to come in your life. He wants to make you new on the inside. There's many that are listening today. You need God today to come in, to deliver, to rescue you from where you are. God said this through the prophet in the Old Testament. He said, I know the thoughts that I have to you, towards you, 
thoughts of peace and not evil. God wants to give you a future and a hope. He said, then you will call upon me and pray, and I will listen to you. Now, we're going to do that right now. We're going to pray. And if you are not right with God, you're away from the Lord. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of his kingdom. He's going to move on the inside of you. And his kingdom is going to begin to come in your life. Jesus said, it's the abundant life that he came for you to live. Now, if you can, could you take somebody's hand? Somebody you came with, take their hand. And listen, everybody wants you to pray this prayer out loud. Where you're online, pray this prayer out loud. Say, this, say these words from your heart. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. Jesus is my king. My life belongs to him. All that I am, all that I will ever be, it's Jesus. I thank you I'm forgiven. A part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.